Henry David Thoreau, a natural inquisitor of the nature of being, remarked, in the form of a challenge, I think, that to affect the quality of the day was the highest of art forms. I love the openness of this thought, the airiness of it, and yet the deep calling. Alain de Boutin, the British philosopher, wrote in his marvelous book, Religion for Atheists, that what formal religious bodies understand is that people are forgetful and therefore need to gather on a weekly, if not more frequent, basis to be drawn back to their more noble thoughts and where, hopefully, they will learn how to answer the call of affecting the quality of the day for the better. Peace be with you, wherever you are, and whatever time of night or day it is. I am Reverend Dr. Candace Bist, and along with my husband, Bruce Lee, we serve the Shelburne Primrose Pastoral Charge in Southern Ontario. And I'm delighted you have joined us today for our weekly reflection on the deeper matters. Our children, who are now in their early 30s, send me on a fairly regular basis articles to read, movies and documentaries I am not to miss. And so it was that last week, at one of my children's instructions, we sat down to watch the documentary Planet of the Humans, the title, I think, being a play on the original film Planet of the Apes. Executive produced by Michael Moore and written and directed by well-established environmental activist Jeff Gibbs, it has been embroiled in controversy since its release on Earth Day, flying as it does in the face of the contemporary thought that if we can just master the right technology, all will be well in the world. Not so. It is a searing condemnation of the state of ecological affairs. It is the ending of the film that caught my attention. It is a bold statement on the importance of the transformative power of awareness, which is deeply embedded in the Christian tradition and the mystical contemplative element of all faiths and inclinations. After an hour and a half of simply depressing revelations on the more virulent forms of greenwashing, Gibbs concludes, I truly believe that the path for change comes from awareness, that awareness alone can begin to start transformation. There is a way out of this. We must accept that our human presence is already far beyond sustainability. Less must be the new more. It is not the carbon dioxide molecule that is destroying the planet. It is us. Extensive research and filmmaking and the conclusion draws us to the simplest of spiritual practices, awareness. Awareness alone can begin to start transformation. And from the Latin American Council for Peace Research, where the liberation theology we spoke about last week has had its mark, Latin Americans are calling for a more just and peaceful new normal. They write, We cannot return to the perverse normality of the pre-coronavirus world. 
where profits are valued more than people. A new normal is both possible and necessary if we build it together. Transformation is the reason we gather once a week to reflect. Not just transformation for ourselves personally, but for the whole of society. For all transformative work in our tradition naturally leads to the serving of the greater good. And yes, there must be a new normal if humanity intends to survive. And that new normal we require looks very much like the kingdom of heaven, which Jesus of Nazareth was so bent on teaching us, and we have been so bent on ignoring. Last week we spoke about separation being the core of evil. Awareness allows us to see when and how and where we have become separated separated from ourselves first and foremost, which is the same as being separated from God, from our divine spark, from the endless possibilities beyond our own current knowledge. It then follows that we are separated from others, which grants us the dubious freedom to perpetrate atrocities unhindered by conscience. And then, of course, we are separated from the natural world, which becomes our play toy, instead of the glorious unfolding miracle we might encounter. It doesn't matter where or how you start to rebuild your awareness. In some ways, your own life, if you let it, will draw your attention here and there and reveal its instructions. Whatever the path, allow it to unfold. Lay your bossy self aside and let the Spirit direct you to what is yet to be revealed. In a way, the sacrament of communion, which has been formalized beyond recognition of its original intent, still has at its heart the regular practice of reconnection for the purpose of awareness and the hoped-for resulting transformation. And we are going to celebrate communion together in this gathering. So look around and see if you can find something to eat and drink to represent the communion elements. It does not matter the specifics. I am sure you can find something more interesting than grape juice and dry bread, but that may be your choice of elements. What matters in true communion is what matters always the condition of the heart, the physical specifics you may choose to suit yourself. Behold, I freely give the 
Cause the end I drank of that life-giving stream My thirst was quenched, my soul revived And now I live in him For those who were part of our study of Macrina Weidecker's wonderful meditative read, Seven Sacred Pauses, you will remember we were all enamored of the poem about the heron that she included in her chapter on the awakening hour. It is written by John Chiardi. The awakening hour, the beginning of the day, is a call to praise, and Weidecker reminds us that praise comes in many forms. Perhaps the deepest of praise comes in awareness of the beauty, the astonishment of life that is all around us, if only we will stop and see it. Praise and awareness, in a way, are one, and always a place to draw ourselves to quiet the spirit. Imagine yourself standing before a country pond at dawn, and on the far side of the pond, a heron suddenly takes flight. As you silently behold the heron's flight, the experience fills your being like a wordless song. What lifts the heron leaning on the air, I praise without a name. A crouch, a flare, a long stroke through the cumulus of trees, a shaped thought at the sky, then gone, oh rare. Saint Francis, being happiest on his knees, would have cried, Father, cry anything you please, but praise, by any name or none but praise the white original burst that lights the heron on his two soft kissing kites. When saints praise heaven lit by doves and rays, I sit by pond scums till the air recites its heron back and doubt all else but praise. Let us gather in awareness and pray together. Gracious one, beyond our sight, and yet to be seen in everything we turn our attention to, if we will only look through the lens that is wonder. Grant us this vision and grant us this wisdom, that we will not continue our blindness to the needs of others, to the needs of humanity, 
to the needs of all the resources that you have given us as gift and which we have abused in our carelessness. While many continue to work through the COVID-19 pandemic and its recovery, there are many who have time to reflect and to consider. And now that is our sacred duty to do so. For as each one becomes aware and decides to devote a lifetime to this awareness, we may draw closer to you, truth beyond us, truth revealed in the details of our life and living. This requires courage to stare into the abyss of our awfulness. It requires courage to stare into the open field of loveliness also and possibility. Grant us this courage now and lift us on the wings of your love. Amen. I am trained as a spiritual director in the Ignatian tradition, which is a spirituality that was developed at the time of the Reformation by Ignatius of Loyola. Ignatius was Spanish and a soldier, such a brave soldier, in fact, and a worthy opponent, that when his leg was shattered in a war with the French, the general of the opposing army sent his personal physician to attend to the wounded soldier. Ignatius was consequently sent home to his brother's house to recover. His leg was put in a cast, and confined as he was for long days, something he had not been accustomed to in his soldiering life, he asked his sister-in-law for something to read. Back then, the printing press was just being developed. Books were few and far between. There were only two books to be found in his brother's castle. One, a collection of noble tales about knights and their conquests, and the other, a book about the saints. Reading both of them, Ignatius discovered over time that though he enjoyed the stories of the knights and their courtiers, afterwards the stories left him feeling dissatisfied and restless. But when he read about the saints and their ideals and their efforts at attaining various virtues, he felt uplifted, inspired to do good, and to be better than he was. By his own admission, Ignatius claimed he was self-focused, much concerned with his noble birth, his clothes, his ability as a swordsman, the women he pursued, and the women who pursued him. His vanity was much injured at his shriveled leg and the resulting limp. This is what awareness is. Note that it takes time. Ignatius was recovering from an injury, not about his daily life. And he reads and becomes aware of a shift in his internal landscape. And from this initial awareness came his complete transformation as he left the life of a soldier to serve the Christian faith as priest. We who are Protestant think of the time of the Reformation as being a time when we broke away from the indulgences of what became the Catholic tradition. 
But it should not be forgotten that there were many who stayed within the original Christian faith and tried to effect change from within. Ignatius of Loyola was one such person. He created the Jesuit order and the spiritual exercises. Given his own experience, it is not surprising that the basis of these exercises is the examine, an experiential prayer of awareness that allows your own wisdom to act as divine tutor. At the end of each day, you draw yourself to a quiet place, leaving behind your own ideas and projects and thoughts, and simply ask two questions of God. When was I closest to you? And when was I farthest away? And you wait in contemplation until the image or words or memory appears. In this way, awareness of God's pathway unfolds and transformation is enabled. And so you'll have no regrets. And- 
Gregory Baum was a German-born Canadian theologian from the last century who taught theology at the University of Toronto and at McGill. Working in the field of interfaith dialogue, he was particularly pained about the damaged relationship between Christians and Jews, possibly reflecting his parentage, his mother being Jewish and his father being Protestant. He famously stated, After Auschwitz, the Christian churches no longer wish to convert Jews. While they may not be sure of the theological grounds that dispense them from this mission, the churches have become aware that asking the Jews to become Christians is a spiritual way of blotting them out of existence and thus only reinforces the effects of the Holocaust. Awareness changed theology and changed the way of doing interfaith work. Baum's Canadian Massey lectures on compassion and solidarity are a wonder to read or listen to. He speaks from the place of deep authority, which comes from informed, experiential faith. In an interview in the Journal of Philosophy and Culture, Baum declares, it is the task of the churches helped by theologically sensitive Christians, especially pastors, to preach the gospel as a message of human rescue and liberation from the many prisons people we have created for ourselves. I know well this idea of people's prisons, of my own prisons, though I would change the word preach to imagine. I don't think Jesus preached. I don't think he even taught. I think he imagined and he loved and he hoped. And this was such an astonishingly rare thing that the gospel writers fell all over themselves trying to get it down into words. But words on paper never really capture the word in life. But I am interested in this idea of pastors being called to a message of human rescue and liberation from the many prisons people we have created. For I am finding that one of these prisons is the church itself. I suspect that Baum, eminent scholar, thinking theologian, and both critic and supporter of the Roman Catholic faith, also bangs his head against the hard walls of the formal church, though he is clear that the walls are in the process of crumbling down. But for those who lead churches, the crumbling walls pose their own problems. How to encourage people to think how to invite others to explore what they feel they have already ticked off their long list of things to do. After all, we already know about God, don't we? There are children to get to the arena and mortgages to be paid. There are addictions to be battled. When is there time to reimagine a new paradigm, even if the old one does not seem to be working? I am beginning to think that leadership should take as its model the children's story, looking at simple things and wondering and asking questions and waiting to see what happens 
practicing awareness, which can be done as easily at the hockey arena as it can be done in a pew. Is it not a child who will lead the way? And we who wish to peek into the kingdom, must we not arrive as toddlers? Concerned with social justice issues, solidarity with the afflicted, and the ongoing struggle in the church to actually live out the tenets of the gospel message, Baum focuses both on the universal nature of God as an inclusive and loving spirit and our called response to do theology with our faces towards Auschwitz. His poetic writing on the nature of God would surely lure any narrow-viewed Christian out of the closet. God is life with a capital L, he writes. God is truth and love with capital letters. God is the unconditional source of all truth and all love in this universe. God is the matrix out of which we move forward, the vector that directs our lives and the horizon towards which we are called. God is graciously present in human history, but never imprisoned in it, never compelled by it, never exhausted by it. God is imminent, but forever transcending. God is forever new and surprising. God present in history remains forever the judge of the world, condemning it for injustice and forever redeemer of the world enlightening and empowering people to build a more human society. Surrender, contemplative prayer, waiting, Baum writes, are the correct responses to this glorious matrix of which we are all a part. And our response to standing looking at the ravages of Auschwitz? Mourning. When we face the slogans at the Black Lives Matter protests, mourning. When we read white idolatry must end, mourning. Baum encourages us to mourn a world that allows racism, that engages in nuclear arms race, and that consents to world hunger. Here is a response that makes sense to me, mourn and then from a place of mourning, and then surrender, and then awareness, move forward. Baum states the problem unequivocally. For people caught in oppression, the gospel is, first of all, affirmation. But for people associated with the dominant culture, such as we are, the gospel is judgment before it offers new life. It is only after we have mourned, after the way of negation, that the joyful language of God's gracious presence recovers its true and authentic meaning. Baum calls those fools who are untroubled by understanding of the new darkness or untroubled theism, for it is not theology at all, not for Baum, and nor should it be for us. It takes courage to stay in the struggle. It takes courage to stand in the unknown on the other side of darkness. Baum knew the dark. How could he not? 
How else could he have been able to write about it with such authority? But here is the result of his walk through the dark night. He is certain of his faith. He is certain of the cross and the message of freedom and peace it holds. This, of course, is the great fear of Christians, that under examination, their faith will not hold up. They worry that if they peer too closely, it will all turn out to be a light and magic show, that God will be revealed as a bumbling professor behind a torn curtain. They don't want to see the darkness because they do not believe in either Christ's death or the rising again of something we cannot name but contains truth of the beyond. So they leave that to the minister, but this will not do any more, for the knowing of the center of the Christian story holds the power of transformation, and this cannot be given, but must be bought by the willingness to engage as individuals and as communities. We must garner our courage. We must peer into the abyss. We must sink into our humanity. And we must not fear to walk with the divine spirit in the breezy part of the day. We must give up all divides between faiths, between ecclesia, between nations, between cultures, and simply peer into the depths together, our backs curved in humble reverence to the Spirit who calls us all home together. We must be willing to peer into the darkness without always looking for our own reflection. May we be granted the patience to mourn and the grace to engage in troubled theism. Our scriptures this morning are two brief passages that speak of the practice of communion. Matthew chapter 26, verses 26 to 28. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 17, Because there is one bread, 
we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. I invite you into our communion, which may seem strange, but it is not, for all true communion takes place in our hearts, whether we are physically together or not. I will remind you that in the United Church tradition, all people are part of the family of God, and all are welcome at the Feast of Communion. All may partake. Communion is a gift to be received freely. It is given especially to help us with those areas in our lives, those memories that cause us to feel unworthy. We may have regrets of our poor behavior. There is nothing wrong in that. That is a gift of awareness. But the regrets are not to overwhelm us and leave us unable to serve. Here is your invitation to communion in the musical form of Janet Pascal's Gospel Reflection. Fifty years ago today she gave her only child away to live a life easy to regret. Years went by, how time has flown. Her days are mostly spent alone, daring to remember, hoping to forget. my body broken for you for all you've been and all you've been through this is my blood and when you've reached the end I offer you again the body Fighting still, he looks for hope through narrow, bloodshot eyes. He slips into a polished pew, lingers for an hour or two. Sometimes it feels better to sit and cry a while. One more. 
by the telephone Neither of them knows just what to say Broken hearts are hard to mend Stubborn spirits hard to bend They're searching for forgiveness But the words get in the way God is with us. We are not alone. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to God. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give our thanks and praise. Holy mystery that is holy love, you are beyond complete knowledge, above perfect description. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, source of life, living word, and bond of love. You are creative and self-giving, generously moving into all the near and distant corners of the universe. Nothing exists that does not find its source in you. And even when we turn away from you, you are with us. Your presence never fails us. Your gifts of hope and new life transform us. We praise you for Jesus Christ, eternal as your love, our bond to one another. And we rejoice with all your people of every time and place who proclaim the glory of your name. O holy, 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 God of time and space, all earth and sea and sky above bear witness to your grace. Hosanna in the highest heaven, Creation sings your praise, and blessed is the one who comes and bears your name always. It is Jesus, God incarnate, the risen Christ, who joins us together as a community of broken but hopeful believers, loving what he loved, living what he taught, and striving to be his faithful servants in our time and place. In this meal, we remember Jesus, his promises, and the price he paid for who he was, what he said, and what he did. We do remember. We remember 
Jesus' life of love, his friendship, his teaching, his dying and his rising to life again. And in sharing this meal together, we live out the mystery of our faith. Christ has died and Christ has risen and Christ will come again. Christ has died and Christ is risen and Christ will come again. Holy Mystery, God the Spirit, we call on you to transform familiar things as you continually transform the world around us. Bless our food and drink. Bless the farmer and the harvest. Bless the seed and the sower, so that in the sharing of simple elements in community, we may taste and see your goodness, and we may catch a glimpse of what it is like to be in communion with you and with one another, through Christ, in Christ, with Christ, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all glory is yours, God, most holy, now and forever. Amen, amen, Hosanna, and amen. I invite you to partake in your communion, in your own time, and in your own way.
Thank you, O Christ, for this feast of life. We are fed by your love. We are strengthened by your life. We are sent forth into this world to live into the visions God has laid upon our hearts. And we are commissioned to feed as we have been fed, forgive as we have been forgiven, and love as we have been loved. Hear us now as we pray the prayer Jesus taught us together. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive them that trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, for ever and ever. Amen. Be aware of your blessings this week. Be aware of the blessings of others. Spend time in reflection. Spend time offering what you have to others. say we shall not live apart you are beloved oh precious one part of my life and heart and so it is with everyone who wants to live in love no boundaries are that stand between below and up above Divine spark in everyone, exceptions there are none. Though clouds may cover us with doubt, the truth is we are one. Our darker thoughts and sinfulness are what keep us apart. The illusion of our separateness puts out our divine spark. Peace.